Provenance is a fascinating thing. A biting wind blew across the residential street in the Boston suburb I call my home. The last few days had seen almost non-stop torrential downpours, and this was the first time the sun had shown its face in over a week. My rain boots carried me safely through the puddles as I veered off the sidewalk and onto a gravel road, carrying my oversized briefcase towards the large barn-like building at the end of the drive. Saturdays tend to be slow and sleepy mornings for most of my friends, but not for me. They often sit in slack-jawed astonishment as I tell them about my 6am wake-up times. I always explain it to them like this. Some people get up early for tailgates and football games, but the flea market is just my stadium. A blast of warm air hit me as I opened the front door to the antiques market, no doubt named after someone's silly tongue-in-cheek joke that stuck around. My glasses fogged up from the sudden temperature change, and I pulled off one of my gloves with my teeth so I could wipe them off, breathing in the smell of antiques to trade and money to be made. I smiled as I made my way over to my small stall by the corner. In the world of flea markets, stalls were first come, first serve. If you didn't get there early enough to reserve a spot, then you didn't sell anything. I sat down on the small stool and laid my briefcase up on the table. The latches snapped open with a satisfying click, and I slowly raised the lid, revealing a dazzling array of vintage watches. The collective ticking of my wares drifted out of the case as a single steady beat, which was a distinct point of pride for me. Nothing demonstrates a horologist's prowess better than that sound. If all of your watches tick at different times, then how precise can you possibly be? Now, to be completely fair, I probably care about precision far too much. I wake up at 6am every morning. I'm exactly 15 minutes early to every event I attend, flea market notwithstanding and I go to sleep at 10pm every night I can. Living your life surrounded by timepieces will do that to you though. Other vendors started arriving half an hour after I had finished setting up my table. I looked up from the book I was reading and eyed them as they started unpacking and preparing for the day. It was the usual crowd of antiquers, most of them peddling brick and brack like old dining sets while some of the higher-end sellers dealt in furniture or obscure vintage art and collectibles. I didn't care much for the objects they were selling, but I did have a ferocious appetite for their stories, for their provenance. And provenance of something refers to its history of ownership. Who owned it when? Where did they store it? And who did they get it from and give it to? Those questions all worked together to not only establish the authenticity of a piece, but also to provide its history. If you're like me, sometimes you find the story of an object far more fascinating than the object itself. I mean, just look up the Hope Diamond if you want to see for yourself what I mean. The main gimmick 
of my watch collection, if you would stoop to using such a word to describe it, is that I not only repair the timepieces, I also use the markings inside them to piece together what I can about their history. Now, most people don't know this, but every time work is done on a watch or a clock, the tools that are used in the process leave behind what are called witness marks. Antique timepieces are often handmade and don't come with any kind of manual or diagrams, but they do come with hints about what had been done within them before. Once you crack open a watch and look inside, you'll start to find witness marks, which are simply the remnants of previous work. Sometimes it's discoloration where a piece used to be, and other times it's scratches from tools that had been previously used within it. Just like fingerprints, no two watches bear the same witness marks. Each one is wholly unique and exquisite in its journey and design. Now I had begun the day hopeful that my collection would draw the attention of some prospective buyers, but as the morning turned into afternoon, I spent all my time enviously watching my competitors cut deal after deal. Bored nearly to tears and itching to do a little bit of exploring myself, I put up a sign that read, Be back in five minutes, and I got up to stretch my legs. The aisles between the stalls were packed with locals and tourists alike, all competing for space and bargains. With all the hustle and bustle going on just a few rows over, my quiet spot on the edge of the barn where you could hear the watches tick seemed even more like a ghost town. I shimmied my way through the hordes of people and made my way up to my favorite vendors, looking for anything I might want to take home for my personal collections. Finding nothing of value and getting anxious about leaving my stall unattended for too long, I turned around and made my way back, preparing to cut my losses and just leave early. When I got back though, I found something strange waiting for me. A small, black box sat in front of my briefcase display, perfectly centered on the table. I looked briefly for the owner of the box, even asking nearby vendors if they had seen anyone leave it there. They all said they had seen no one at my table except for me, a reply that I couldn't help but think was an underhanded insult. Oh, curiosity finally got the better of me, so I picked up the box and sat down on the stool. Small, ornate carvings decorated the outside of the cube, almost invisible from a distance, but it was entrancing up close. I traced my fingers along the edges, feeling the grooves. Then, curious to get a closer look, I took out my magnifying glasses attachment and hooked it onto my normal prescription lenses. The markings were even more magnificent up close. Thousands of tiny lines wound their way across the leather surface weaving between each other before branching out and weaving between other lines. It only occurred to me, after several minutes of marveling at the outside of the box, that I hadn't even opened it up yet. 
I removed my glasses attachment and undid the simple clasp that held the front of the box shut. The lid glided smoothly on its hinges as it opened up to reveal one of the most gorgeous antique watches I had ever seen. It was nearly perfect in every way, outside of two notable details. Now, the first flaw was that the clock had stopped at 3.15. I couldn't help but wonder had someone left it for me to fix. I wondered who it might belong to as I pulled on a pair of latex gloves. Until I knew exactly how the old piece was, I didn't want to risk damaging it any further. I gently picked it up out of the box and turned it over in my hand. It was completely silent within. The second notable detail was that the back of the watch was heartbreakingly defaced. A name had once been engraved into it, but now all that was left of the owner's name was a Mr., followed by three long scratch marks that covered the name underneath. Thankfully, the gouges didn't seem to warp the rest of the plate or cut through the gears inside. A strange sense of avarice overwhelmed me. I found myself closing up early and sneaking out one of the side doors. I scurried down the length of the gravel lot and back onto the sidewalk before making my way to my house a few blocks down the road. I eventually came back to my senses after locking my front door behind me and peeking conspiratorially through the blinds for a few moments. I have no idea why I was being so jumpy. I took my rain boots off and placed them nearly on the floor beside the door, hung up my jacket, and placed my keys and their dish on the counter. And then I carried my briefcase down into the basement and placed it on my desk before heading over to my workbench with the ornate box. I clicked on the overhead light and laid out my tools, practically salivating over the strange new gift an unknown stranger had left me. The rest of the world fell away as I turned the watch over and took the back off of it, revealing the most complex and fascinating array of internal mechanisms that I had ever seen. The design of this piece was unrivaled in both design and beauty. Though the front face had stopped, the gears within were still churning away, working in perfect harmony. That meant the disconnect must have been deeper within, where the gears connected to the hands themselves. I put the magnifying attachment back on my glasses and stared in wonder at the craftsmanship on display within this work of art. It was so perfect that it seemed almost otherworldly. I pulled out my camera and took pictures of the gears before removing them since I was absolutely terrified of messing up any part of the immaculate work. Although, I found something truly strange as I worked my way through the first layer of gears. There were no witness marks. An alarm went off on my phone, alerting me that it was already 9pm. I blinked in confusion at the alarm. Oh, hadn't I just sat down to work? It was odd. I must never lose track of time. My stomach growled, and I stumbled my way from the workbench, stopping at the base of the stairs for one last look at the marvelous enigma that had fallen into my lap. 
Then I headed up to the kitchen to scrounge up some dinner. That night, I dreamed of an unfamiliar house. I was standing in the bedroom, staring down at a sleeping form of a stranger. After a while of watching their chests slowly rise and fall, I turned and made my way out of the room and down the stairs, eventually going out of the front door. A distorted version of the familiar Boston skyline stretched out through the darkness of the night, and I found myself moving toward it. I woke up in a cold sweat and checked the time. 3.15. I still had a few more hours until my alarm was supposed to go off, so I rolled over, cleared my mind, and fell back to sleep. I spent my Sunday hunkered down in the basement working on the mystery watch. I settled into a steady pattern as the hours ticked by. I'd look for witness marks, found none, take a picture, and then remove the next few gears. The near perfection of the timepiece apparently went deeper than the surface. A complete lack of markings like that wouldn't even exist in a factory-made watch. Whoever built it must have dedicated a lifetime to the craft. Or maybe they made a deal with the devil. I joked under my breath before checking the time again. It was already 2pm, and the watch had suckered me out of most of my day yet again. I spent the rest of the day relaxing and watching TV, but my mind kept going back to the basement and theorizing my plan of attack for the next day after I got home from work. I was going to get to the bottom of that watch. My dream that night brought me back to the exact spot where I had stopped the night before. I resumed my trek toward the city, and found myself seeing more and more familiar sights. The skyline wasn't wrong, it was just a different side of it than I normally saw. I traveled several blocks before I woke up. It was 3.15, yet again. I was unnerved, to say the least, and I found myself having a harder time falling back to sleep. And when I did, it wasn't as restful as it usually is for me. I drifted through work the next day, desperate to get back to my house for a nice nap and a good session of exploring the watch in the basement. By the time I got home though, I decided to forego the nap and just head straight to my pet project. I was getting closer to the face now, and I still hadn't found any witness marks. Who made this watch? Somewhat predictably, my dream that night picked up exactly where the last one had left off. A surreal feeling washed over me as I moved on autopilot through the city. My path felt too precise to be random, and my surroundings were too detailed to be made up. Had I been to that part of Boston before? I made it through a large chunk of the city before startling awake. I checked the clock next to my bed and had my suspicions confirmed. 3.15 once was random, two was coincidence. Three times, though, I mean, what was going on? Sleep eluded me for most of the rest of the night, and I spent a large chunk of my Tuesday morning nursing a large cup of coffee, which is a rarity for me. 
A pallor had fallen over my face as I looked in the mirror, and I made the decision to take a break from the watch in the basement, at least for the day. Now I bet you could guess where I was in my dream that night. My strange feeling the night before was all but confirmed as I moved faster and faster through the city streets, watching as the buildings began to be more spaced out and the sights became more familiar. It felt like I was hunting something. Cold sweat. 3.15. You know the drill by now. I couldn't fall back to sleep at all after that, so I got up and went downstairs to work on the watch again. And for a moment, when I first opened the door to the basement, I could swear that I heard it ticking. The next few days followed the same pattern. I'd spend my day exhausted and obsessing over the watch. I'd walk through Boston in my dream, and then I'd wake up at 3.15 on the dot, unable to go back to sleep. The biggest shock of them all was on Thursday night, when my dream trek took me to a small field on the edge of my own street. I could see my house before I woke up. First thing Friday morning before I went to work, I made my way out to the exact spot where I had stopped in my dream. In the field, exactly where I had been standing when I woke up, there were two small patches of flattened grass, shaped like a pair of hoof prints. I ran back to my car and drove home, calling in sick for the first time in years. I went straight down to the basement and began frantically piecing the watch back together. It took the entire day of agonizing over the pictures I had taken, but I finally managed to put all the gears back into place. Taking one last look of the insides of the watch through my magnifying lenses, I was startled to find that I hadn't left a single witness mark. That was the last straw. I put the watch back in the box and closed it before going to bed. My dream started at the end of the street, right where the hoof prints had been. I watched in horror as I passed by all of my neighbors' houses and found my way to my own front door, pulling it open and stepping inside. I gazed over at the basement door for a long moment before turning my attention to the hallway that led to my bedroom. I was a captive audience, trapped as I stalked through my own house. Moving into my own bedroom, I looked down at my fitful sleeping form on the bed. The clock next to me said 3.14. I woke up and screamed. There were hoof prints in the carpet at the foot of my bed. I drove aimlessly until the sun rose above the horizon, too anxious to stay in my own house. But I knew what I had to do, and I knew because it was what someone else had done to me. I drove home and picked up the box before heading to the flea market and waiting for it to open. I was the first one inside, and I spent the whole morning looking for my moment to pass it on. And it finally came when I watched a woman set a Be Back Soon sign on her table full of stained glass art. 
I quickly walked by her stall and out of the front door, leaving the small black box on the table.